Welcome to the Boone's Creek Baptist Church podcast. We are a church that exists to spread God's glory from our neighbors to the nations. This is Pastor Tim Wade, and we pray that you will be blessed as we consider God's living, active, and all-sufficient Word together. Uh, would ask that you turn with me, though, to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, as we're going to be considering today for the last time, for those that's been keeping track, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Talking with someone and they said, well, it's a shame you're finishing up with that because I've got those memorized now. And uh, there's certainly a lot uh, of good to be found in these verses, but uh, we'll be moving on to Genesis chapter 2 very shortly. Uh, We've got, of course, the next couple weeks we'll have... Uh, the Oneida Baptist Institute folks here with us next week, and then we will have uh, our homecoming uh, service the week after that, but uh, in three weeks we'll be picking up in Genesis chapter 2. But today I want to consider, as we consider for the last time, uh, Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 through 31, the question, why we are, why are we here? What is the purpose? What is the meaning of life? Now, this question is one that has come up repeatedly. It's not a new question. It's a question that's been considered by philosophers from the very earliest of times all the way through the Greek philosophers to even our modern uh, present conversations. You can go to a uh, freshman philosophy class on a college campus. And I remember when I, w- when I took that class, we asked this question, what is the meaning of life? Why are we here? What is the purpose of our existence. And yet the interesting thing is that for all that time and energy that's been spent trying to answer that question, the question's still being asked. Because we've come no nearer to answering it, at least from a humanist perspective, than we were millennia ago. Now what's interesting is if you choose to to let Google give you the answer to this, and you ask Google what is the, the reason for life or the meaning of life, you'll get sucked into a rabbit hole of really ridiculous answers. Some of the answers I found when I did just that include statements like, we are here to learn and unlearn. Don't know what that means, but we are here to know ourselves. We are here to forgive and heal. According to Sigmund Freud, We are here to be torn between our instincts and social expectations, hopefully reaching some sort of compromise until we die. End quote. That's pretty bleak. According to Eastern religions, the meaning of life is to experience continual cycles of reincarnation until you're eventually able to escape that Ferris wheel through good works and fade into nothingness. Pretty bleak also. According to the popular book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the meaning of life is the number 42. According to evolutionary principles, we're only here because of time and luck and chance. There's no real meaning behind our lives beyond blind evolutionary processes. We are happy accidents, sentient bags of water, pretty bleak as well. But what if I told you that the Bible 
has a pretty clear answer for the question, why are we here? What is our purpose? The Bible tells us that we have a mission to accomplish. When God put the very first man and the very first woman in his creation, he gave them instructions. Just a few weeks ago, uh, uh, perhaps the most popular podcast in, in the world right now is, uh, in terms of listenership is, is the Joe Rogan podcast. And Joe Rogan was on his podcast and he was commenting on the fact that we as human beings are incredibly complex creatures that are very nuanced and there's lots of aspects to our lives that we don't fully understand. He said, wouldn't it be nice if we just had some sort of instruction manual to figure out how to live? I said, well, we do. The good news is God has given us instructions in His Word. He's given us a mission. And the meaning and purpose of our lives can be found in the very first pages of your Bible. That's exactly what we're going to see today. The, the mission, the Genesis mission, that God gave the very first people. The mission that we still have today. That we're still working to accomplish. And the mission that will be accomplished when Christ returns. So then if you're able, I would ask this morning that you please stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God as we consider Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. There we read, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth. And every tree with seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. <coughs> Let's once more turn to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that we do have that instruction manual. We thank you that you have given us very clear indications for what you expect us to do. And, and those plans, those purposes are laid out all throughout your word. But here at the very beginning, we see the reason for which man was created. Lord, as we consider this today, I admit there, there's going to be difficulties. In some ways, this is a very simple idea. And yet it runs so contrary to what we see around us today. Lord, I pray that you would help us then. That you would remove any obstacles in our hearts and minds to hearing and understanding your word. And that 
we would receive it with gladness. Understanding, Lord, that this can only be accomplished by your grace and by your mercy to us through Jesus Christ. And so I pray, Lord, that if there's someone here that doesn't know Christ, that today would be the day that they would repent of their sins and put their hope and trust in him and his atoning work on the cross. And Lord, for those of us that have, for those of us that have experienced that transformation that comes from knowing Jesus, I pray that we would strive to walk in obedience to the mission you've given us here in your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Today, we're going to see five different components of the reason why we are here, the meaning for our life, the Genesis mission. Those components are going to be the plan, the purpose, the problem, the promise, and the process. The very first thing that we see is the plan. What is it that God actually had for his people to do? What was the the plan that he gave them? Well, this question really has an easy answer. As you paid attention, as we read through those verses, you probably heard it. You probably saw it. God tells Adam and Eve that his plan for them is to be fruitful and multiply. That's the instructions that he gives them. When he places them in the garden, the very first thing he tells them to do, before he says, oh yeah, also don't eat the tree, the bad one, you know, is be fruitful and multiply. That's what I want you to do. That's what you're here for. Here in this garden, be fruitful and multiply. To fill the earth. To subdue the earth. To have dominion over everything in it. Now we've already considered this passage from several other angles. But as we look at this today, we see the intent behind everything that we've been discussing. From man being made in the image of God, we see and understand why God did that. To the stewardship that God gave man over his creation, we see and understand why God did that. It's all part of this plan that God has, the purpose for why man is here in the first place. As I said last week when we talked about our stewardship and dominion over the earth, we see that this plan is all part of a blessing from God. We're told here, In verse 28, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is a blessed task, a blessed mission that God has given us. So many of the alternate answers that we saw to the question of why we're here, what's our purpose, what's our reason for existence on this earth. So many of those other answers were frankly just bleak and dark and sad. So many of them belie the fact that the earth can provide no real purpose and meaning for us apart from God's word. Well, the most common answers that people give to our reason for being here is we're told that we are here simply to eke out as much happiness as we can in our short lives and then to die and disappear into nothingness. That's probably what the majority of the people in the world would embrace as their philosophy of life. I'm here just to try to make do the best I can. Try to have more good days than bad. More good moments than bad. The insinuation of that idea is that happiness 
is elusive and it's difficult to achieve. But you see, God's plan for us, described here in Genesis, it's a plan of blessing. It's a plan that is intended for our good and for our joy. The sad reality is that the reason that so many people in this world do not feel blessed, do not feel joyful, the reason why so many people feel like happiness is elusive and difficult, I'm convinced, is because they are attempting to live their lives contrary to God's plan. God's given us a plan in His Word, and He says this is the way to experience blessing. This is how I am blessing you. I'm giving you this plan, this purpose, this mission. I want you to live according to this plan, and doing so is going to result in blessing. And yet we often have the audacity to to say, no thank you. I'll, I'll find my own path instead. I'll find my own way to happiness instead. And then we're surprised when it leads to disaster. And when it leads to frustration and unhappiness. Why don't I feel happy and blessed? Because I'm not following God's plan that He's given me for my life. <coughs> Let me give you just a, a simple example here. If I, if I told you that the way for you to feel better and look better and have enough money in your bank account to cover all your bills was simply to drink a bottle of water a day. You drink one bottle of water a day and you'll get all that you want, right? That's how the snake oil salesmen get their audience, right? They just mix a little food coloring in the water and they say, buy this and you'll be happy. And the only one that ends up happy is the snake oil salesman that's getting your money. But nonetheless, just imagine for a moment, that's all it was. Drink a bottle of water a day. You'll look better. You'll feel better. All your problems will go away. How foolish would it be if that truly was the case to say, no way. I'm going to avoid water like the plague. I don't want any of that water. I'm going to choose to do it my own way. We would think that that would be pretty foolish. And yet that's what we do when it comes to God and His Word. God is saying, I want to bless you. I want you to experience life in the full I want you to be satisfied, and here's the way to do it. And we say, yeah, I think I'll do something else. No thank you, God. So we see then why people are often so frustrated. People are unhappy in this world. While there is such a market for drugs that make us feel better, and that relieve the misery that we experience on a day-to-day basis. People are struggling, and they don't have the answer. And the answer is simple. We are not aligned with God's plan and purpose in our lives. And when we are not aligned with God's plan and purpose in our lives, no matter what we can do to distract ourselves for a short little while, it's not going to last. We're never going to experience true happiness and joy. We see here that when it comes to the specifics of God's plan, it involves people multiplying and filling the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. Now for the rest of the sermon, we're going to break this down a little bit. We're going to see what this means for us today because the question that you all are probably asking in your minds right now is, okay, so 
does this just mean that we need to have lots of babies? And that's it. Like that's the whole meaning of life is to have babies and that's, that's the purpose. That's it. Is, is that really what we're saying? Stick with me because we're going to see what this means for us today. There's so much more to this than just simply having babies. So we need to follow this idea through the scripture to see what God means, what this looks like to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. We're going to see what God's purpose is in this plan, the reason why God gives this plan, the problems that arise with following this plan, the promise of ultimate fulfillment and the process that it's to be carried out today. But right now, we simply need to see that when God put man and woman in the garden, plan A, B, C, and D for them was be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. That's the instructions. That's the mandate that God gives them. Everything else comes as a result. If you're fruitful and and you multiply, you will fill the earth. If you're fruitful and you multiply, you will subdue the earth and have dominion over it. It's all a result of this this multiplication. So the next logical question is, well, why? why? Why was this the plan? What made God come up with this idea? What's the purpose behind the mission? What are we hoping to accomplish? <coughs> well, again, we have some specificity here in the text. The purpose of the plan is so that the offspring of the man and the woman would fill the earth. But what does that accomplish? Why does God want a full earth in the first place? Why isn't he just happy with Adam and Eve there in the garden and all the animals? Isn't that good enough? Why does he want the earth to be populated? Some of you, probably when you're driving home from work, you probably wish the earth was less populated, right? Or at least that particular stretch of roadway so that you could get home more quickly. But God says that he wants the earth filled. Why? Here's where we begin putting the pieces of the text together. We need to go back and remember. Why did God make man and woman? What was the design that he used? Well, we are told that they are made in his image. We, you and I today, as you sit here in this room, you are made in the image of God. That's how God designed us. Therefore, as we multiply, what is it that's being multiplied? The image of God. The image of God is being multiplied in the earth. And so God's intent is to fill His earth, not just with people, but His image bearers, His representative stewards. By filling His new creation with image bearers, God's rule and authority will also fill the earth. As I mentioned in an earlier sermon, when a ruler comes to power, especially in the ancient world, what they would typically do is they would make new money with their image on it. We see this in the New Testament when Jesus asked for a denarius and he says, whose image is on this coin? He said, well, it's Caesar's. Because Caesar had authority in that area, his image was on the coin. God's image is on us. And so everywhere we exist, everywhere people exist on his earth, it is a physical representation of the image of God and his rule and authority over the earth we find that this actually becomes one of the central themes of Scripture, filling the earth with image bearers of God that represent His rule and authority. 
The great catastrophe early in Scripture was the flood that we'll get to in Genesis chapter 6. But just prior to the flood, we see that the reason that God floods the earth is because this mission has gone horribly awry. Man and woman were supposed to fill the earth with with image bearers of God, but look at what happens instead. We're told this in Genesis chapter 6, verse 11, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled, same word, not with image bearers, but with violence, with sin, with wickedness. This wasn't the plan, and so God sends the flood. He wipes them out. And afterward, when uh, when Noah... Gets off the ark. Got the wrong patriarch there for a moment. When Noah gets off the ark with his family, what does God tell them to do? In Genesis chapter 9, he says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is after the fall. After sin has entered into the equation. The mission doesn't change. The mission is still the same. This is what God wants His people to do. Because as the earth is filled with His image bearers, it is ultimately filled with His glory. We see also that this mission was transferred to the people of Israel. (coughs) When Israel leaves Egypt, and they go and they march toward the promised land, and they get to the edge of the promised land, and they say, God, we're not going to go in there because those people will kill us. We can't win. Against these giants, these great warriors. And God condemns them and He says, Okay, everyone over 20 years old, you're going to die. He hits reset again. And why? Because in Numbers 14.21, God says, But truly as I live, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. This is why He prevents them from going into the promised land. Because God's plan is to fill the earth with His people which ultimately leads to the earth being filled with His glory. When His people refused to go into the promised land, they were rebelling against this plan. They were rebelling against the Genesis mission that God had given His people. And so He condemns them. Part of sending His people into the promised land is not just about getting them into a location on the map. It's bigger than just having more babies. It's about filling the earth with the glory of God. With covering the globe with the glory of God, with His dominion, His rule and authority to all edges of the world. God swears by Himself, here in Numbers 14, the earth will be filled with His glory. That was the plan from the beginning. And it would be accomplished by the multiplication of His image bearers. So that as more and more people come to know God, who represent God spread out on the face of the earth, He would receive glory. It's the purpose behind the plan. It's the why. Our purpose is to glorify God. And as we do, and as we multiply, and as there's more and more image bearers glorifying God in more and more places of the earth, the glory of God is filling the earth. This is what we're here to accomplish. The prophets make this clear. As you move forward through Scripture in Isaiah 11, 9, we're given a glimpse of the future kingdom. 
what it looks like after Christ returns and He makes all things right. He eradicates sin. What does it say? They shall not hurt or destroy in all of my holy mountain. This is a passage about the lion laying down with the lamb. And why is that? Why will things be good and perfect and right in God's new kingdom? He says, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The reason that heaven is heaven, the new heavens, the new earth, or the new heavens, the new earth, that it's all that we hope for and all that we look forward to is because it will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. The promise is repeated again in Habakkuk. Habakkuk 2.14 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Same words in Isaiah. This is the end goal. This is the mission being accomplished. God's purpose is for the earth to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And that only happens as we, His people who have that knowledge, multiply. But here's the problem with that. We see the plan, we see the purpose, the reason why. But here's the problem. You see, when sin entered into the equation, this mission became impossible as it had been given. In the curse pronounced on mankind, what are we told is one of the main elements of the curse? One of the main elements of the curse is difficulty in childbearing. Difficulty in multiplication. There's going to be pain increased in childbearing. Women would have difficulty bearing children. And we see the awful results of that even today. To this day, we see the effects of the curse. In infertility, miscarriages, infant and mother mortality in childbirth. There are physical limitations. But not only are there physical limitations to physical multiplication, there are also relational limitations. Another aspect of the curse that God issues to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 is the fact that there's going to be a breakdown between the relationship between men and women. Between husband and wife. Some of you in this room have experienced the sting of divorce as a result of the fall. As a result of the curse. Some of you have lost spouses to death. Some of you in this room maybe have wanted a spouse or maybe you've wanted a child but for whatever reason you've not been able to have them. The physical and relational breakdowns are all part of the curse of sin. And they all jeopardize the mission that God gave His people. What's worse and the real impossibility of accomplishing this mission simply by childbearing is that every single child that's ever been born on the face of the earth, no child was ever born. Cain and Abel was born after the curse. So every child ever born has been infected by sin. They are still precious image bearers of God, but we are told that by one man sin entered into the world and it spread to all mankind. And so every person born after Eden has been marred and distorted by sin. So that something must be done. A change must take place 
in order for them to remove the stain of sin in their lives and to restore the knowledge of the glory of the Lord in them. For them to reach their full potential, their full expectation as image bearers. Something must change. Something must be transformed in them. (coughs) But here's the good news. Despite the many problems, there is a promise. Despite all these difficulties, there is a promise. Now part of the promise we've already seen when we looked in Isaiah and Habakkuk. God has sworn by Himself. The mission will be accomplished. It's going to be accomplished. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. We were told this in Scripture. As a certainty, this will happen. In Revelation, we're given even more details about what this will look like. In Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, John gives us this glimpse into heaven. He says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So here in this glimpse of heaven, what do we see? That the earth has been filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That there are people in heaven from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation who are standing before the Lord's throne and who say salvation belongs to the Lord because they know Him. His glory has covered the earth. We don't have to worry about whether or not this mission is going to be accomplished. God has promised us that image bearers from every corner of the globe, from all tribes, tongues, and nations, will stand before His throne. Revelation chapter 7 is like a giant mission accomplished banner. And not the one that George W. Bush hung on that aircraft carrier. Some of you that's over 20 will get that reference, right? But... God promises us that He will do what He said that He would do. But how can this be possible? Given all the problems we discuss. And again, is this merely by us having more children? Is this, is this what this accomplishes? Is this merely the result of procreation? What about those, what about those who can't have children? What about those who've never been married, who are infertile? What promises are there for them? On Isaiah 56, the Lord gives us this promise. He says, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me, and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Now the Lord promises here that even for the eunuch, if you don't know what a eunuch is, kids, ask your parents later. Uh, But even for the eunuch, somebody that it is physically impossible for them to have children, that God will give them a monument and a name better than children. In his house and in his walls. He will care even for them. How can this be? 
How can we have a legacy? That's what a monument is. A monument's a legacy. A lasting testimony. A name. How is our name lasting unless we pass it on through our children? God says, I'm going to give you something better. I'm going to give you a monument. A lasting legacy. I'm going to give you a name. Better than sons and daughters. Well, that brings us to our final point. How this can be. It's the process. It's all about the process. <coughs> Before we talk about this, because ultimately, let me just spoil things for you. This isn't all about simply having children. Right? This isn't, this isn't the takeaway from the message. That, that we just need to, if we can go and as Christians have more babies, that we would fill the earth with babies and that there would that God's mission would be accomplished in that way. That's not what this is talking about. But let me do just say, children are a good thing. Children are a blessing from the Lord. And married Christians should desire to have children and make every effort to do so. And if the Lord withholds that blessing from you, then trust in His goodness even in that. This was part of God's good plan for humanity. It was part of his blessing. And children remain a blessing to this day. As individual parents, there's perhaps nothing greater than we can, that we could do than to bring children into the world and then train those children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Raise them to be faithful image bearers, faithful stewards of the mission that God has given us. And I'm so thankful for the testimony of parents in this church. Parents... Those of you that's done this and done this well and your children are adults, I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful to learn from you. Because I'm struggling through this myself. Because it's a hard job. But it is a wonderful, it is a blessed job to be able to do this. But you see, that's not the only job. As image bearers of God after the fall, our mission has shifted as a mission primarily of procreation. For Adam and Eve, God said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, procreate. And had they not fallen, that would have been a wonderful and joyfully accomplished mission. But they sinned. And sin entered into the equation. And so the mission shifted from procreation to recreation. What do I mean? I mean that after the fall, after sin entered into the equation, simply being born was not good enough. We are born fallen image bearers of God. Born into a fallen state and must experience recreation or, as Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, truly I say unto you, you must be born again. It's not good enough simply to be born it's not simply enough it's not good enough to simply bring a child into the world that's not how we accomplish this mission it was clear that adam noah israel all failed miserably at being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth with image bearers so that the glory of the lord would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea that's why jesus had to come to redeem fallen humanity to make a way for us to be Born again. To experience the second birth. And when we do, Jesus charges us with the same mission 
that he gave Adam and Eve, that he gave Noah and his sons, that he gave the people of Israel, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, but not simply through the process of procreation. No, our mission is spelled out in Matthew 28, where Jesus says, or the scriptures say, and Jesus came to them and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is what the Genesis mission looks like for us. The plan and the purpose has not changed. God still desires that the earth would be filled with His image bearers. But it doesn't happen merely through procreation. It happens through faithfully proclaiming the good news of Jesus. So that people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation in all corners of the earth can be born again. Having children is a great blessing. But your job, parents, it doesn't stop there. You have to see it through until they are born again. And for those of you that feel like a dry tree, who have no children, perhaps your children are grown and out of the house, God will give you a name better than sons and daughters. Because you are still able to accomplish this mission through the gospel. You do not have to have biological children of your own to tell other people about Jesus. To bring them into the family of God. I, I, just, I just want to do a, a quick little experiment here. And this may fail miserably. It may blow up in my face. But I'm just curious. How many of you heard the gospel and believed the gospel from someone other than a parent? I'm sure you heard the gospel from parents, but somebody other than a parent led you to the Lord. It's about half of us. How many of you, how many of you, it was a Sunday school teacher or a VBS teacher, somebody at the church that, that you knew? Okay, quite a few. So for those of you that don't have biological children of your own, look at those hands. These are names better than sons and daughters. As you serve, as you teach Sunday school, as you help raise children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, as you teach VBS, you have an opportunity to raise up image bearers to the Lord through your faithful service. You have an opportunity to participate in the Genesis mission, even if you don't have children of your own. We have to continue to labor at the mission. Our reason for being here is to glorify God, to ensure that His glory covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. To multiply His image bearers by sharing the gospel so that people are transformed into new creations. <coughs> Everyone in this room shares that mission if we have trusted in Christ. And one day we will be evaluated based on how faithfully we have pursued it. And so we all have a job to do. But that job begins, that mission begins by making sure that we are actually on the right team. You see, you can't be on mission if you have never aligned yourself with Christ to begin with. If you have not aligned yourself with Christ, if you have not submitted your life to Him and repented of your sins, then not only are you not on mission, but you are opposed to that mission. 
You're filling the earth not with image bearers, but with violence like the people in Noah's day. You are refusing to submit and go along with God's plan like the people of Israel when they rebelled in the wilderness. My plea to you today is that you would repent of your sins. That you would trust that Christ's death on the cross and His resurrection from the dead is sufficient to pay your sin debt and to make you a new creation. Someone that is now working for the glory of God, not opposed to it. This is God's plan for you. This is how your life can have purpose and meaning. And as you are aligned with God's plan, what you will find is that to the extent that you are working to carry this out, you'll be satisfied. You will find fulfillment. It won't always be easy. We talked about in Sunday school today in Mark chapter 10, we can expect persecutions. We can experience, expect to experience difficulties. We can be assured as well that this is part of God's blessing for us to participate in this plan. And one day that mission will be accomplished. All of creation will bow before Him. The only essential question now for us is whether or not you will be found on the right team on that day. God is going to accomplish all that He has promised. And we can either be the beneficiaries of those promises or the recipients of His judgment. Like the people in the flood. Like the people of Israel. When we are opposed to God and His plan, it only results in judgment. And so if you are ready to be the beneficiary of His blessings, brought into His team, ready to participate in this glorious mission that He's working to accomplish ever since Genesis 1, then today is the day. I would encourage you in just a moment to come and let me know that you would like to know how to make sure that your life is aligned on mission with Christ. Perhaps you are bitter because you feel like God has cheated or robbed you of the blessings of a spouse or children. You feel like the eunuch in Isaiah 56 that says that he is a dry tree. Perhaps you realize that there is more that you can offer to God and His kingdom. And you need to repent of being bitter and angry toward the Lord. I would encourage you to do so today. Maybe you need to submit. Maybe you need to recognize that, that you're not doing anything to accomplish the mission. You're not actually serving faithfully. You're not laboring to train children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. You're not actually laboring to bring in more people into His kingdom so that the earth would be full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Maybe you need to come and bow and submit to the Lord and say, Lord, use me to accomplish your mission. Whatever it is, in just a moment, I'd encourage you to come as we bow together in prayer. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the mission that You have given us, for the plan and purpose that You have for our lives. And I ask, Lord, that as we consider this, that that we would each one evaluate ourselves and ask, to what extent are we on mission? To what extent are we working in concert with you to accomplish your purposes in our lives? <coughs> Lord, may we be found faithful. Faithfully laboring. Faithfully serving. Faithfully telling other people about the hope that they can have in Jesus Christ. It's in His precious name that we pray. Amen.
Thank you for listening. If you have questions about today's sermon or would like more information about Boone's Creek Baptist Church, you can send us an email at boonscreekchurch at gmail.com or you can give us a call at 859-263-5466. You can also find us online at www.boonscreekchurch.com. Thank you and have a blessed day.